Welcome everyone, we are about to begin Be'eses Hashem, feedback number 36. Uh, we will talk today about um, scientific study also, talks about many doctors, John Gottman, Sue Johnson, Dan Siegel, others that scientifically studied marriages, and this is not some... Um, you know, advice, but you know, made out of in person in a person's head. They actually researched, researched, and interviewed couples, stayed with couples for years and years, even decades, and followed the patterns of behaviors and formed these conclusions. So, the, so they give ten top yesidas of how to build a healthier, happier relationship, and uh, the first one the way they put it, is respond to 86% of your partner's emotional calls. Emotional calls means the emotional connection. When you see that your wife or your husband needs to feel that emotional connection, and it's obvious in every marriage it's, it's, it's a necessity, it's important, that you need to learn to attempt as much as possible to connect with one another and daily and many times daily. Even the simple things, and you don't say it just with your mouth, but you really mean it when you ask. After a long day's work or whatever it is, how was your day? Even as simple as that, that's responding to emotional call. If it's not just said like a power of a thing, like, oh, you know, like, like, hello, good morning, and, you know, like people do without thinking, but they really mean it. How was your day? I want to hear about it. Or sometimes the emotional call could be that when um, your wife or husband is saying something that's upsetting them on something that happened, and then you you act sympathetically towards them, and you you sigh even with them, and then things like that, and you feel their pain. And research has showed that in healthy marriages, partners respond to 86% of one another's emotional calls. Obviously, the goal is 100, but we're not perfect people. We do the best we can. And they did research that marriages that he- were heading for divorce, they respond only 33% of the time or less. So in short, this is the first thing they said, advice number one, that being aware of and knowing how to treat your partner's emotional calls, meaning when you need, you see they need to be filled emotionally some way, um, that that's very, very important. And when you see your husband or your wife try to connect with you, and they try to connect to you, it may seem subtle, but there's probably many, many times, even hundreds of times during the course of a week or two, where your husband or wife tries to reach out and express something where they need some emotional feedback and support. And think of those times and try to be aware of those times and try to respond as much as possible with a minimum of 86%. That's number one. Number two, to deeply understand your husband or your wife's inner world. Inner world, what does inner world mean? Inner world means that each person has their own unique, subjective reality that you live in every day. And no one can be in in someone else's shoes, and it's true no one can fully understand another human being. Right? And sometimes you can't reach his place. You can't be mamish in that person's situation. But 
it's very important to learn about the way your husband and your or your wife feels about things, understands things, and it's not possible to help each other out and solve problems together if you don't understand one another. So not only that, science proves, they did this scientifically, that both you and your spouse are always becoming newer versions of yourself. You're constantly growing, right? In the, by divorced couples, Nebuch, usually one of them would tell a therapist, I woke up one day and I, rec- and I didn't recognize the person next to me anymore because people are constantly changing, they're growing. So if you don't, you're not attuned with the way your spouse is growing or that you yourself are growing in a certain way, you won't be up to date or be attuned to what each other's world. So, and this is very, very helpful, especially in a conflict. Because very often one spouse sees an issue very different from the way another person sees it, from the other spouse. And you're, the tachlis is not to win an argument. I'm right, you're right. The tachlis is first to understand your husband or wife's perspective. Now, as you may not agree, you may not see it that way, but the first thing you need to understand is, is, is my husband and wife, they're upset about something or they feel a certain way that I don't feel. Why? There are reasons behind it and legitimate reasons very often behind it, why they feel a certain way. So that is a second year side. How can you learn more about your partner's inner world today? It takes time. It takes listening carefully and engaging in conversations. So that is number two. Number three, honor your relationship sense of we. We meaning you have to realize, yes, you and your spouse, they're two different people, but your relationship creates a third entity, which is really a unit, right? We know through Chazal, you're half of Neshama and another half of Neshama, you become one. So you're a you and your wife's a you. And then you become one. Your one is a we. A we means a third entity, especially the Shechina Shaira there, when there's Shalom between them. So it's not a matter of what's good for me. It's a matter of what's good for us. And research has proven that this sense of sacrifice, sacrifice meaning that you think not in terms of me, me, husband, Mr. Husband in a marriage, or me, Mrs. Wife in a marriage, but you look at we us as a couple together in a marriage, you look at it that way, that that sense of sacrificing to that bigger whole is a strong indicator of being very satisfied in your marriage. And these decisions happen every day with every topic of marriage, whether it's finances, whether it's sex, whether it's in-laws, whether it's household chores, whether it's how it's dealing with the children. And when we say sacrifices or mysterious nefesh, they don't have to be major, major things. Just simply making a breakfast one day or running certain errands or listening to your husband or wife vent and you listen sympathetically or taking responsibility for your part of a conflict when you know, okay, I was in a bad mood and I said something I shouldn't have said and you own up to it and say, I'm sorry or prioritizing sex like we talked about in previous shiurim. And the list goes on and on. All these things where you say to yourself, it's not just me as an individual, but it is us as a partnership, us as a one. And that, 
and sacrificing even small sacrifices towards this by giving of yourself to the marriage promotes more trust and a greater emotional connection in your marriage on a daily level. That's number three. Number four is when you have discussions, you have to start the discussions softly and calmly. Research show that the way you have a conversation with your husband or wife determines the outcome of that conversation, no matter what the conversation is about. They researched that 96% of the time when a conversation begins poorly, poorly meaning due to tone or to the volume or to the words used or a combination of all three, tone, volume, words, it ends poorly too. So what's the lesson behind this? The lesson behind this is, is that you start conversations gently and thoughtfully. And that helps you resolve conflicts. So it's very important if you're very, very upset about something, wait till you calm down first and think it through. And after you calm down and say, you know, we really, me and my wife, me and my husband really need to have this conversation. And then you're ready to have this conversation. You start out talking softly with a, with a proper, the respectful tone, with a respectful volume, and you use healthy words and even if it's a difficult topic, you will see that 96% of the time you do this, it will be beneficial and with positive results. And the power you have to create healthy conversations with your husband or wife is enormous by simply bringing up issues, even if they're difficult issues, if you bring it up softly, if you bring it up mindfully, it will put your relationship in a better track and um, pause before you bring up an issue. You ask yourself first, what is going on in my inner world? What is going on in my wife's inner world? In my husband's inner world? How can I understand my wife or husband's viewpoint better? Even if you disagree, but how they obviously feel different from you. I need to understand their view. I may not agree with it, but I need to understand their viewpoint better. And using, let's say, even a split second or five seconds or 10 seconds or one minute thinking about this before you speak can help you start softly with your conversation. And that is a tremendous side. Number five, and this is an obvious thing, this is we talked about in previous year and many times, is expressing appreciation, hakaras atayv, every day. And studies show that consistently expressing appreciation thank yous, wow, I really appreciate when you do that for me, nurtures and protects your relationship over the long haul. They call it a lowest hanging fruit in your marriage, meaning it's very easy to do, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. There's a study by a clinician, Kim Bulin, who interviewed couples about the history of their relationship and how they met, how they fell in love, the good and the bad times and how they experienced, how their marriage has been. The study was called How a Couple Views Their Past Predicts Their Future. And these stories predicted future marital satisfaction and divorce with a 94% accuracy. And it came out that couples who appreciated their relationship and its history were likely to create happy, healthy futures together. Now, how does that work? 
Practicing appreciation makes you far likely to respond positively to 86% of your partner's emotional calls, which was the first marriage piece of advice, which they feel is the most important one. Being attuned and answering to your partner's emotional calls and needs and you respond to it. And studies show that couples who feel more appreciated by their partners are more responsive to their partner's emotional needs and more committed to their relationship. All this by simply saying, I appreciate you, I love you. And even if you had troubled pasts, if you view it now in a positive light, is very it could do wonders for your marriage. So that requires some reflection. You need to ask yourself, what do you appreciate about your husband, about your wife, and what relationship moments are your favorites? You talk about it, you thank your spouse for it, and you grow with it. The sixth thing that I mentioned is create your own culture or co-create your own culture. What does that mean? They explain it as follows. Life is complicated and busy and chaotic, and very often you can lose sight of what really matters. And this, what they call co-creating your own culture, what that does is you're basically trying to create a structure, a certain type of structure that keeps your marriage strong and guides you both to your goals and dreams. It could be, for example, rituals together. If you both like coffee, you have coffee together or tea together or you have specific date nights, or you have certain times where you have specific times where you have family dinners or evening walks that will allow you to prioritize your marriage on a consistent basis so that even while life gets crazy or hectic, you stick to certain routines, certain rituals, and your marriage and family life can still thrive. It helps you define your family values and mission and purpose and the foundation of your future goals and dreams. And that's, by the way, the beauty in Yiddishkeit of having the Shabbos table and all those Yontif Sudais that at least once a week the family's together that way. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that's part of a, it's part of a halacha. But Lamaisa, that is, in a way, you're creating that, that culture that keeps you connected, keeps your family connected. And um, it's a symbolic of your marriage too. It shows how your values and goals and dreams have some similarities to each other. And they are very, like a, you treat it like you're a single family. You and your wife may be different individuals. You and your husband may have different perspectives. But in the marriage, you do both have common goals and you create that culture to promote that, those common goals. And that happens with daily and weekly rituals. I go out with my wife once a week to, for a walk or have a private dinner together or spend 15 minutes of time with her, uh, you know, coffee or tea in the morning, whatever it is. The fifth, seventh thing is that remind yourself that when you have conversations about money, it's really not about money. In other words, conversations about money revolve about how to spend money, which is a conversation about a here and now and how to save things which is for the future, and everyone has a different way of how to base their... But it's not really mathematically based. It's emotionally based. When people fight about money, sometimes differences in these perspectives can lead to machlaikas, can lead to arguments. And 
as teenagers even, as in our childhood and then into adulthood. We have different types of perspectives about monies. You have spenders, you have savers. Um, some people feel it's okay to spend money on some things and not on other things, and your spouse feels differently about it. So this is similar to the inner world principle of above. There's an inner world principle of everything, of understanding your wife or your husband's inner world overall. That inner world applies to money too. It's not about money per se. It's about um, your inner world about money, your view on it. And uh, solving related money conflicts needs open discussion about what's important to you. It's values. It's not just about why you're spending on this and that, but your values. And when your husband or wife is able to hear what you value and what you don't value, again, spoken gently, like we said in the previous um, condition, then you'll have a productive conversation. And the money issues will tend to uh, diminish. Why do I value this particular purchase? Why is it so important for me to have a nice car or a nice dress or a nice pair of shoes? Why does my husband or wife value this purchase, even though I don't care for it so much? So you have to basically realize that when you're fighting over money, it's usually deeper than that. It's a value that we're talking about here. Number eight, about sex. That basically, they call it a sex script, but basically you have to have, like we spoke in previous feedbacks and shiurim, you have to have thoughtful conversations about your sexual preferences with your husband and your wife, the likes, the dislikes, the time of day, the frequency, the quality, and so on and so forth in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, in a healthy way. And a satisfying sexual relationship is a combination of emotional connection and conversations about it, which we talked about last time, that it's not a lack of tzinius, which we explained then. The second one of having those conversations are often overlooked, and research so show that only 9% of couples who can't talk comfortably about sex report sexual satisfaction. You need to have a conversation about it, an open, honest, loving, accepting conversation about these subjects. And to be able to talk about it is linked very much to overall marital, marital satisfaction. That's why it's important for couples not just to prioritize the sexual experience in the relationship, but to learn how to talk about it comfortably with each other on a consistent basis. You could share your likes and dislikes, and it's yes, it's being vulnerable, but that's part of the relationship. You need to try to allow yourself to be vulnerable and Sex very often is a physical expression of your deep friendship that you have with your wife. The goal of sex is not just the physical pleasure of it, but it's to become closer friends and to reframe things together. Um, So it's very important. And again, with this, talking about sex, you have to keep advice number four in mind, which is talking in a soft, gentle way. And that's very important. Number nine, we talked about acting interdependently. We had Shurim on this as well. That dependence, like a child depending on a, dependent on a parent, a young child for nurturing and security in order to survive. By two married adults, they are dependent on one another. But, and that's a good thing in the health, if it's done in a healthy way. But you need a certain 
interdependence, meaning you can't be too clingy, but on the other hand, you can't be too distant. There's a tension very often between the two. And it's very often, it's very important to draw the line between what's healthy and unhealthy about this. So in other words, you do need each other, and that's healthy. But to need each other to the extent that it's clingy and over-dependent, that's unhealthy. And the healthiest way is, like we talked about in previous Yorim, is interdependence. You are you, and I am I, but we also have a we. There's a sense of we also. So each each um, partner in a marriage, a husband and a wife, honors their own individuality, and at the same time, respects the need for each other. So that takes shikladas and also tefillah, and to talk about it, to decide and to determine and to figure out when are you too clingy and too overly dependent on one each other to a point that it's unhealthy, but on the other hand, when are you too distant at times of the relationship? And there needs to be a balance between these two opposites. Each one of the spouse needs a time and space to bring out their own individual talents and develop their own inner life and outer life and their own shlemus independently from one another, each one individually, and that's healthy. But at the same time, they need to have a real deep connection too. So that's a combination. There's something called dependence. There's something called being independent. And what we're saying here is some new word called interdependence, which is a balance between the two. To expect to respect the individuality, but at the same time feeling one. And number 10, the 10th thing they mention is to strive for emotional forgiveness. There are two types of decisions when you forgive. There's a decisional mental forgiveness, and then there's an emotional forgiveness. Sometimes you forgive with your head. You decide to forgive intellectually, but you still feel those negative feelings about that offense. Emotional forgiveness is that in the heart, you forgive completely and replace those negative emotions with positive emotions. So it's important not just to have the intellectual, I want to forgive, which is a good, very powerful first step, but it's you have to also have an emotional forgiveness, which is linked to forgetting. This is when the Chayvah Salvavis says that shikha, forgetting, is a good thing. Because sometimes you forget it's a good thing. You learn how to forgive. If you only forgive with your brain and not with your heart, you you harbor some resentments about the offense and it'll still breed contempt. And not forgiving emotionally can cloud the relationship's future. If you don't forgive emotionally, the hurt will usually resurface again, putting you at risk of developing another negative cycle that could easily head to divorce and things like that, Khalila. So what you need to do, it may be hard, but try your best to completely emotionally forgive by empathizing with your partner, hearing your partner's rationale, trying to understand their perspective, even if they were wrong, but also take responsibility on your part of a conflict because usually there is two parts the aside of all of this is marriage takes work, which is good news, not bad news. People think it's bad news because it takes work. Who likes work? But it's good news 
because even people right now, and I'm talking to all of you that have difficulty in your marriage, when you put in the work, your marriage can and will get better. So those are the 10 yesidas. Number one, respond to 86% of your partner's emotional calls. Number two, deeply understand your partner's inner world. Number three is honor the relationship and sense of we. It's not just me and you, it's we. Number four, which I think is extremely important, start discussions softly. Number five, again, very important. We discuss this in many shiurim. Express appreciation every day. Number six, co-create your own culture together. Do rituals and things that you both are doing together to strengthen your marriage. Having tea together, having coffee together, having walks together, things like that. Seven, when you talk about money, it's not about money. It's about prioritizing and understanding each other's perspective on money. It's about sort of learning about the inner world of your spouse in regards to how they spend and do this softly, these conversations, and it will uh, make things a lot more pleasant. Number eight, build your sex script, meaning have communication about the sexual, uh, physical expressions as a source to develop the deep friendship between a couple. Number nine, act interdependently. You're yechidim, but you're also uh, connected. And find the true balance between being too clingy or too distant and find the right balance where you respect each other's individuality, but you also share and be one. Number ten, strive for emotional forgiveness, not just intellectually in your head, but forgive in your heart. Have a wonderful day.